Despite there's much fallout this evening, and there will be for months, we are admitting that we lied to you for saying the wrong things about the, the 2020 election. Now, why is that? Well, the truth is Donald Trump lost the election. And no, we didn't tell you because we don't care what you think. Now we have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars. We were wrong. We are completely irresponsible, and we're sorry, America. I'm sorry for repeating something that was untrue. I'm sorry, I just gotta take a quick break mm -hmm. and go cry in a closet while squeezing a stuffed animal. Yeah, good idea, Tucker. Anyway, thanks for the apology. Appreciate it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yeah. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF, along with other fine terrestrial affiliates. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today and that apology you heard from the uh, at the top there from Tucker Carlson sadly as you could probably tell was was not a real one very sad that it was not real I know but we had to hear it somehow so but, yeah it was in fact it was cobbled together by the daily show in lieu of a real apology by any of the liars and degenerate scoundrels who are featured daily on America's most dangerous institution. That would be the Republican propaganda outlet known as Fox News in the wake of their $787.5 million settlement with Dominion Voting Systems over this past week. Their payout to the uh, voting system company after it was revealed that the entire cable news, I don't want to say news, the entire cable <laughs> outlet from its executives to its producers to its on-air hosts and reporters all attempted to undermine our democracy in favor of ratings by lying about the 2020 presidential election being stolen from Donald Trump. It wasn't when all of those very same people, of course, knew that it absolutely was not. And because the Dominion Voting Systems Company does not and never did have an interest in supporting or saving democracy in all of this, they were only concerned about saving their 
own profits, just like Fox. Because of that, they settled for nothing more than cash money. A lot of cash money, but that was it. No on-air or even off-air apology for that matter necessary. So in a similar vein to The Daily Show yesterday, there was this fake, if moderately, also moderately <laughs> satisfying apology created by the folks at The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Before we go tonight, we want to say we're sorry to Dominion and to the American people. We here at Fox News lied to you about the 2020 election repeatedly and consistently. We admit that we are guilty of amplifying those voices. Insane people like this guy. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell. A guy like this is given a platform because we want to make sure when you're watching Fox News, it will make you dumber. My original, <laughs> my slippers are back in stock. Please take us off television before we allow these crooks to turn our country into dumps, big, massive dumps. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, that will have to hold you for now, I'm the afraid. The apologies we deserved but did not get. Correct. And uh, but did I say you were Desi Doyen, by the way? Well, if you did, you did now. Okay. You're Desi Doyen. Yes, there I we go. am. Uh, hi, Des. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's going to have to hold you until, uh, well, until the at least the other voting machine company, uh, Smartmatic, sees its $2.7 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox get to court. Or even what may happen in the other lawsuits still pending from Dominion against other right-wing propaganda outlets like Newsmax and OAN and... Trump lawyers and liars like Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and pillow guy Mike Lindell, who are all also facing $1.3 billion defamation suits from Dominion. So a, a bit more actual schadenfreude fun with right-wingers and dumb 2020 election denialism, including with the pillow guy Mike Lindell, a little bit later on today's show. But uh, let's start here with something, I guess, more serious. President Joe Biden on Wednesday skewered Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who finally released an actual list of proposals after months of yelling about amorphous, unspecified cuts, spending cuts that he was demanding in disingenuously tying the debt limit to spending cuts. The debt limit has, in fact, nothing to do with spending cuts. It has to do with having enough cash on hand to pay for the stuff that Congress and past presidents have all already approved as opposed to future spending without raising the dumb debt limit, which, by the way, should not even exist, as as is the case in most of the civilized world. The U.S. will be unable to pay for, well, just about anything because we won't be able to borrow the money needed to pay for the stuff that we've already bought. It uh, means that the U.S. will default on its debts. It will result in an almost immediate crash of the stock market. Millions of people laid off across the country and a global financial recession or worse. That's all. All of which could be just completely avoided by a simple up or down, yay, nay vote to raise the arbitrary so-called debt ceiling on how much money the Treasury Department can borrow to pay for its bills. Which the Republicans routinely raised with no problems whatsoever they, during the Trump administration. Correct. Three times, in fact, they did so during the Trump presidency, despite his unbridled spending and record revenue cuts at the time, slashing hundreds of billions of 
incoming dollars in, in taxes, mostly for the wealthy and corporations. Instead of a simple yes-no vote, however, McCarthy kept McCarthy's new 320-page bill primarily targets Biden's agenda and his legislative victories. Remember, this is this is not the budget debate uh, for what will you know, what we will spend next year or over the next 10 years. That negotiation on the budget that comes later this year. And the White House has made clear in the meantime, they are not willing to negotiate on the debt ceiling by making it into a budget debate. The debate over the budget items that must now be paid for because they've already been bought in order to avoid global fiscal calamity. That debate over those items we already had when the stuff that we, you know, need to pay for now was initially adopted in many cases years or decades ago. But in response to McCarthy's dead on arrival proposal that couldn't even pass the Senate and if it is able to pass the House, the Republican majority House, in response to that, Biden said on Wednesday in Maryland while speaking at a union hall, quote, that's the MAGA economic agenda, spending cuts for working and middle class folks. It's not about fiscal discipline, he said. It's about cutting benefits for folks that they don't seem to care much about. So McCarthy's uh, document is a, a panoply of red meat base messaging and benefits cuts. It's meant to show that House Republicans can all agree on a proposal, which, by the way, is in doubt that they can all agree on this proposal. But that's what it's supposed to show and to give uh, Kevin McCarthy a leg to stand on when he then criticizes Biden for refusing to negotiate in all of this. In fact, this is about Republicans wanting to use the debt ceiling to extract political concessions out of Joe Biden that they would never get through the regular legislative order in budget negotiations where they you know, didn't have fiscal calamity that they could uh, use as as a hostage here. So McCarthy is cobbling together this 320 page packet of. Uh, well, as a TPM, Kate Riga's uh, describes it, a TPM as Republicans darkest impulses. McCarthy gets to say here and uh, many news outlets will undoubtedly repeat that, well, Republicans, their refusal to help raise or suspend the debt ceiling is now President Biden's fault, actually, because he didn't give them what they wanted in return or something. But just to give you some idea of what they want, what McCarthy says Republicans want in demand for not crashing the global economy uh, Riga rounds it up this way. Uh, from food to health care, Republicans are eager to withhold aid from the poor, often in ways already proven not to work for Americans who already struggle the most. They're mostly going about this by adding work requirements to benefit programs, some of which already have work requirements. Having been strong-armed, I should note very cleverly, by President Biden during his State of the Union address back in February into taking cuts to Medicare and Social Security off the table, because that would be cruel to cut those popular programs, for, largely for the elderly. Yeah, but those would be for current recipients. They're still trying to sneak in some stuff for folks we'll that see. haven't started we'll yet. We'll see. 
without, you know, directly being able to cut those, Republicans are instead focusing on things like SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, previously known as food stamps, uh, cutting SNAP, and Medicaid, which is government health insurance for low-income and disabled people because, you know, the hell with those people, am I right? The SNAP proposal, for instance, according to the uh, to an analysis by the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities of a similar earlier version of this proposal, would end up kicking 10 million people off of the already paltry food assistance program or about one in four current recipients. So. The Republicans, in exchange for not cratering the economy, want to kick 10 million people, one in four people, off of food stamps. The proposal for Medicaid cuts, well, that would end up kicking just 2.2 million people off of the program, taking away the federal health insurance safety net for 2.2 million poor and or disabled people. Most of them children. That while proposing cuts, by the way, to stuff that will end up actually helping rich people and corporations and actually making the budget deficit worse, not better, which is supposedly the opposite of what McCarthy and the Republicans are pretending to do here. Building off their widely shared fabrication that the increased funding to the Internal Revenue Service adopted last year only by Democrats after every Republican voted against it. Uh, and that led to a phony conspiracy theory that the increased funding to the IRS would somehow result in armed agents of the IRS kicking down doors of middle class America. After that, well, they seek to slash that new funding to the agency because, well, that's spending, right? Well, not really. In fact, it would have a dual effect of both wiping out the $120 billion in federal government revenue gains that would come of it because they're spending more money on enforcement. Uh, in other words, they would end up shrieking. What What is happening currently is that the debt will be shrunk by some $120 billion, but also with the uh, beefed up enforcement of the IRS over the next decade, we would continue to bring in more money than we are losing in spending on new right. IRS agents. Restaffing the IRS, making it a functioning government agency, which right now it has been very difficult to get through to the IRS. By restaffing it, it will effectively pay for itself and then some. And then some. It will actually lower the budget deficit that the Republicans are pretending to complain about. But of course, at the same time, it also helps out the very wealthy to easily evade paying the taxes that they actually owe under existing law. So that because, one's a, of course, that's a twofer for them. And they toss in for good measure the RAINS Act, which would subject nearly every significant federal agency action to congressional approval before it can be implemented. So basically, this is the way they hope to decimate the administrative states and make sure that agencies charged with things like protecting the environment, protecting workers, protecting public health care and more completely cease to function. 
But uh, the real fun and the real reason I want to draw your attention to what Republicans are proposing here, whether this thing will ever actually become law or not, and it won't, but I want to draw your attention to this because uh, they also include what Rika describes as a let's kill the planet faster section in this <laughs> proposal that would also weaken limits on oil and gas drilling. So we can do away with that. Unlimited. Let's have unlimited oil and gas drilling, of course, as well as uh, it rips up nearly all of the nearly $400 billion in climate initiatives that passed last year after months and months of dealing with the whims of uh, right-wing Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, in the landmark Inflation Reduction Act. They just want to get rid of it, hook, line, and sinker, pretty much, despite the fact that it has been touted as the most significant achievement, climate achievement, in U.S. history, perhaps in world history. So let's get rid of that by all means. More specifically on that in a moment, Republicans uh, round off their uh, <laughs> proposal here with McCarthy's unenumerated spending cuts above and beyond the things I've already listed to the tune of $130 billion for next year alone. What are those things that are going to be cut? $130 billion worth? Well, they don't mention that. We don't know what would be included in those cuts. It's just a general stew of stuff that they want to slash from the American people. As Washington Post reports, the bill would make $130 billion in cuts to discretionary spending next year, but it doesn't lay out exactly what programs would be axed, leaving the Appropriations Committee to hash them out if they were to become law, which the Post even snarkily notes, it won't. The Biden administration has taken it upon itself to guess what those cuts would most likely be and what they would most likely target, including, quote, education, veterans, medical care, cancer research, meals on wheels, food safety and law enforcement. Well, who needs that stuff? And in return, the bill would raise the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion or suspend it until March 31 of 2024. Yes, less than a year from now, whichever occurs first. And that would set up another debt limit fight heading into an election year. The same thing all over again. And for all of its cuts of federal federal spending, it would uh, likely spare any cuts to things like defense while repealing tax credits for things like, oh, electric vehicles and other critical long overdue efforts included in the climate bill that Democrats passed last year, known as the Inflation Reduction Act. To pass this bill in the House, the Post notes McCarthy can lose only four Republicans. Good luck, Kev. But again, if he pulls that one off, it's going to be dead on arrival anyway in the Senate. And the White House, meanwhile, says they're not even going to negotiate on whether the you know, economy survives or not. We will see if they can stick to their demand for a clean debt limit bill. But in the very same week that California congressman turned Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is proposing these huge slashes to landmark initiatives to clear the air 
and to help Americans literally stay healthy while saving the, the future somehow for mankind itself. Well, in that very same week, I happened to notice that the American Lung Association released its annual State of the Air report. That's an annual state-by-state, city-by-city breakdown of the most and least polluted metropolitan areas in the nation. So on the uh, national level, this new report from uh, the American Lung Association, by the way, released on the very same day that McCarthy released his Let's Kill Poor People and Damn Near Everyone Else Who Breathes proposal. On the very same day, the American Lung Association's new state-of-the-air report finds that nearly 120 million people in the U.S., or more than one in three, live in counties that had unhealthy levels of ozone or particle pollution. Now, the good news from uh, the Lung Association, quote, overall air quality has improved across the nation. However, major differences exist between air quality in eastern and western states and between air pollution exposure for white people and people of color. The report found that out of the nearly 120 million people who live in areas with unhealthy air quality, 120 million people, out of that, a disproportionate number, more than 64 million, are people of color, in fact. So that's 54%. In fact, people of color were 64% more likely than white people to live in a county with a failing grade for at least one measure in this study and 3.7 times as likely to live in a county with a failing grade for all three of the measures that this report looks at. And this, is, in fact, is an increase compared to last year's report, at least for people of color. But uh, differences in air quality were also seen between eastern and western states, which I found interesting. Yeah. More than 18 million residents in western states live in counties with three failing grades and the worst 25 counties for short-term particle pollution were all located in the western U.S. Now, the good news is that ozone pollution has generally improved across the nation, the Lung Association says, thanks in large part to the success of the Clean Air Act, by the way, uh, under which the Biden EPA has been attempting to curb things like carbon and methane pollution that causes global warming. But this year's State of the Air report found that 19.3 million fewer people are living in areas with unhealthy levels of ozone pollution, also known as smog, according to the president and uh, CEO of the Lung Association. However, he notes... The fact is that 120 million people still live in places with unhealthy air pollution and not all communities are seeing improvement. This is why it's crucial to continue our efforts to ensure that every person in the U.S. has clean air to breathe, he says. So at this point in the uh, American Lung Association's report, I drilled down uh, to the uh, separate report. They're doing one for each state, apparently. I went to the report specifically for California. And, uh, well, what do we find? Well, the American Lung Association 24th Annual State of the Air Report highlights that despite decades of strong progress in cleaning the air, California's Californians still face the most 
difficult air pollution challenges in the nation. More than 98% of Californians live in a community earning a failing grade for unhealthy ozone pollution days, unhealthy particle pollution days, and or unhealthy annual particle pollution levels. Those are the three measures that are used uh, in, in this report. That said, as the uh, Clean Air Advocacy Manager for the Lung Association notes with the report, quote, local and state actions have driven real progress in California. So that's good. Yes. But, uh, as she notes, there is much more work to be done to ensure every Californian has clean, healthy air to breathe. Even one poor qual air quality day is one too many for children, older adults, people with chronic illness, lower income residents and people of color. Policymakers, they note, at the local, state and federal level must act to ensure that everyone has clean air to breathe and no community is left behind. The report details progress or lack thereof on a city by city or metropolitan area by metropolitan area basis with 12 California cities appearing on at least one of the lists of the most polluted cities in the nation, Desi Doyen. Yep. Which I kind of blame you for, but maybe that's unfair. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, there's a reason I'm, I'm drilling down so deep here. Uh, Los Angeles uh, and Long Beach region, that's where we are, ranks as one of the most ozone-polluted metro areas in the U.S., uh, in the uh, State of the Air 2023 report. Uh, but uh, the, the region has actually improved in both fewer unhealthy ozone days and particle pollution days compared to last year's report. Now, part of the reason for that is because the Long Beach Harbor and the Los Angeles Harbor, those are the biggest, I mean, the ports are mm -hmm. the biggest ports in the United States, mm -hmm. the biggest ports on the entire West Coast. And that's much of the traffic from China and Asia comes through those ports where you have trucks that are waiting, idling, mm -hmm. spewing diesel fumes, yeah. and then driving them through these neighborhoods to then distribute them to like the Amazon warehouse mm -hmm. or the Walmart warehouse in other parts of the country. So those people living there, yes, have a huge burden of air pollution because of the America's mm -hmm. import-export sector. Although it is improved somewhat compared yes. to last year. So there's because that. of regulations that cleaned there up the you air go. there. Imagine that. Also, San Diego uh, improved and saw its fewest ever reported ozone pollution days. Good for them. And uh, But here's what caught my eye. Bakersfield, California. Have you heard of it? Home of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, according to the American Lung Association, Bakersfield, California, is the most polluted city in America in terms of unhealthy days of particle pollution. And it ties Visalia, California, as the most polluted American city for annual particle pollution levels, and Bakersfield ranks third in the nation, in the nation, for unhealthy ozone days, uh, but did improve to the fewest number of days ever reported out of Bakersfield uh, in the uh, newest report from the Lung Association. So yeah, you're welcome, Kevin. Looks like the stuff that everyone else is trying to do in order to try and clear the air is actually helping your constituents. 
At least when it comes to unhealthy ozone days, even if you, Kevin, are now trying to roll all of that back and make your own constituents sick. Again, according to the American Lung Association, their new State of the Air report just released this week. Kevin McCarthy's hometown of Bakersfield, California, is ranked number three in the nation. Worst for high ozone days out of 227 metropolitan areas, it is ranked one number one in the nation as the worst for 24-hour particle pollution, and it is ranked number one in the nation worst for annual particle pollution. So congrats, Kev. You're number one. The whole report is based on uh, on those three categories again. And Bakersfield now tops for the entire nation, tops two out of the three of them in the country. And it comes in third in one of them. And McCarthy wants to make it worse. Correct. Of course, you know, with landmark future improvements like the $400 billion investment of the Inflation Reduction Act into cleaning up our air and water, things will hopefully continue to improve in Bakersfield, California, it doesn't seem like they could get much worse, to be frank, so they got to improve, right? Unless, of course, you're successful, Kevin, in gutting those future improvements by gutting the landmark federal measures that are actually designed to help your own constituents stay healthy and alive. But to hell with them, I guess. Am I right, Kevin? Man, you you know, you, you better hope they don't notice what you're trying to do to them, your own constituents. You better hope they don't notice and how you are actively trying to harm them, actively trying to make it worse when it's really bad already. Seems to me they've had enough bad already, Kev. Anyway, just thought you should know bit more on all of that in our latest Green News report coming yep. up a little bit later this hour. But let's take a quick break and a breather, if you will. We will then come <laughs> back with, uh, let's see, what do we have? Oh, yes, as promised, uh, a, a bit of wildly amusing and somewhat schadenfreude news concerning right-wing pillow guy, really dumb, dopey pillow guy, dumb, doopy pillow guy, <laughs> Mike Lindell. That's all straight ahead on the broadcast today. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever, if you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely and quickly via bradblog.com slash donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Hey, you don't know me, but you don't like me. Say you care less how I feel. But how many of you that sit just me? There you go. A little, yeah. little parting gift for our friend Kevin McCarthy. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, moving on from one dope to another here. Uh, this was kind of <laughs> hilarious uh, to wake up to this morning. My pillow founder 
And prominent election denier Mike Lindell made a bold offer ahead of a so-called cyber symposium that he held in August of 2021 in South Dakota. As you may recall, we covered it quite a bit at the time as it happened here on the show. Because it was bonkers. Correct. Uh, Lindell uh, had claimed that he had special super secret data that he had somehow gathered from a whistleblower or something showing that... Chinese interference, Chinese interference in the 2020 presidential election would be proven by this data. And he said that he would pay five million dollars to anyone who could prove that the material was not from the previous year's U.S. election. Now, we had, uh, you may recall, we had at least one friend in attendance at that cyber symposium that day. That would be the great cybersecurity expert, voting systems expert, white hat hacker, if you will, Harry Hursty, who you may remember from the Emmy-nominated 2006 HBO documentary called Hacking Democracy, or its chilling 2020 follow-up documentary called Kill Chain, The War on Democracy, in which Harry was the central character. Anyway, we were in touch with him as he was at that symposium, but I'll get to him in a, in a yes. moment. Uh, Lindell, Mike Lindell, had called his $5 million challenge, quote, prove Mike wrong. Well, hilariously, as it turns out on Wednesday, a private arbitration panel ruled that, in fact, someone did prove Mike wrong. The panel said Robert Zeidman, a computer forensics expert and a 63-year-old Trump voter, as it turns out, from Nevada, was in fact entitled to Lindell's $5 million payout that he did in fact prove Mike wrong. Zeidman had examined Lindell's data and concluded that it not only did it not prove fraud, but that it also had no connection whatsoever to the 2020 election. <laughs> he was the only expert, apparently, who submitted a claim in this uh, in this prove Mike wrong contest. This, according to the arbitration records. In fact, uh, as we discussed with Hari at the time, while Lindell had promised that he would release the data publicly, uh, he made it very difficult for anyone, even at this three-day symposium, to actually get the data and analyze it. From the bits and pieces that we that were publicly released back then, Hari told me that it appeared to be little more than nonsense and gibberish. And as it turns out, that's largely exactly what it was, according to Washington Post's exclusive on this today. Zeidman turned to the arbitrators after Lindell Management, which created the contest, refused to pay him. In their 23-page uh, decision, the arbitrator said Zeidman proved that Lindell's material, quote, unequivocally did not reflect November 2020 election data. They directed Lindell's firm to pay Zeidman within 30 days. Pay up, my pillow guy. Yeah, I think he's got the money. It. Mm, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, in a statement, uh, in a statement, the Washington to the Washington Post, Zeidman said that he was quote really happy with the arbitrator's decision. I bet he was. Quote: They clearly saw this as I did that the data we were given at the symposium was not at all what Mr. Lindell said it was. He said the truth is finally out there. 
His Zeidman's attorney, Brian Glasser, said the panel's decision stands as a warning to others who have made wild allegations about our election, about election fraud. Quote, I think arbitrators thought it was important that these claims be vetted because they've done great harm to our country, he said. Lindell said in a text to The Washington Post, quote, they made a terribly wrong decision. <laughs> this will be going to court. <laughs> But a copy of uh, contest rules that were submitted in the arbitration said, uh, which which Washington Post includes here, uh, said that disputes would be, quote, resolved exclusively by final and binding arbitration. And noted that arbitration, quote, is subject to very limited review by courts. Glasser said the panel's decision cannot be directly appealed, but that Lindell could ask a federal court to quash it on the basis that it represents a, quote, manifest injustice. Good luck with that. That could happen. You never know. The statutory grounds for such a claim of manifest injustice are apparently very narrow, and it is, quote, extremely rare for such a claim to actually succeed in court, according to Glasser. So, yep, uh, Lindell, more likely than not, is going to have to pay up some $5 million to a Trump voter who proved his data was stuff and nonsense. That, while Lindell also faces a $1.3 billion defamation suit from domain, uh, Dominion Voting Systems and defamation lawsuits from, uh, from one of Dominion's former executives. So, yeah, Mike, uh, you're in big trouble, buddy, making one wonder how you can sleep at night. Oh, yes, it's those crappy pillows. <laughs> All of this, uh, by the way, may also be very bad news for Fox News because Mike Lindell is one of the few advertisers that they have left that is willing to pay money to be seen on the fake cable news propaganda outlet. And if he runs out of money, if he goes broke, well, Fox may be in more trouble than they appear to be right now. In the months after uh, Trump's 2020 loss, Lindell had spent millions of dollars to finance lawsuits, support right-wing activists. We'll get to one of them in a moment. Uh, nationwide and to launch a streaming TV station dedicated to amplifying election fraud falsehoods. During frequent media appearances, he advertised his three-day symposium as the event where he would finally provide the data proving proving his claims. And he issued that high-stakes challenge. There's a $5 million prize for anybody that can prove the election data that I have from 2020 was false, that it's not from the 2020 election. He said on one of those right wing streaming shows, the data that he planned to reveal, he said, were so-called packet captures that would somehow demonstrate Chinese government interference in the 2020 election in the U.S. Packet captures or PCAPs are a specific file format that is an industry standard for archiving Internet traffic. Essentially, it's a record of traffic, you know, crossing the Internet wires, the tubes, if you will, during any particular moment and or at any particular place. So uh, Lindell said on the show that these packets, these PCAPs were captured in real time on election night, that they can't be altered, that they're 100 percent evidence <laughs> that it will show intrusion, that 
that this was an attack from China. So as it turns out, yeah, it didn't. No, of course it didn't. His claims that he had packet captures had intrigued Zeidman, who told the arbitration panel he was skeptical of the claims. But he also uh, he he said he, he also did not believe Lindell would promote unvetted data. So he thought that the conference would offer a great chance, quote, a great chance to see history in the making, perhaps an election overturned. Yes, even Zeidman thought that this would be for real. It wasn't. At the event, Zeidman received the contest rules. Winners would have to prove that the data provided, quote, does not reflect information related to the 20, November 2020 election. At the symposium, participants interested in the contest were given a special badge to indicate they were cyber experts. They could enter the room where Lindell's data was shared because he never actually shared it publicly. Over those three days, those three long days, he never put the data out there publicly, and that irritated a lot of folks at the time. Only certain people were allowed to see whatever it was he wanted to show them. The files provided to Zeidman and the other experts were apparently either text files or PDF files. Zeidman testified one was apparently a flowchart purporting to show how elections generally work. Another one, when it was unencrypted, was a list of Internet IP addresses and others were enormous files of what appeared to Zeidman to be random numbers and letters, <laughs> which is largely what Harry Hursty had explained them to me uh, to be at the time. Uh, boy, we could have. I don't know why Harry didn't go for that five million dollars. <laughs> I know. Uh, anyway, Zeidman laid out his findings in a 15 page report. He said, quote, I have proven that the data Lindell provides unequivocally does not contain packet data of any kind and does not contain any information related to the November 2020 election. Six weeks after the symposium, Zeidman sent a letter to Lindell Management to claim his prize, but he got back a denial, and the following month he filed for arbitration. The uh, private arbitration proceedings in, his, in Lindell's home state of Minnesota included uh, written briefs, depositions, and a three-day hearing in January with sworn testimony from Zeidman, from Lindell, from subject matter experts and witnesses. So this was a serious proceeding, and um, looks like Zeidman won it. His uh, lawyers wrote to the panel that the data presented at the symposium contained, quote, no recognizable data in any known data format. This is how hard Lindell will fight to not pay $5 million to somebody who proved him well, wrong when he was so willing to pay, I don't know, whoever it was, who explained to him what was supposed to be in those files, which turned out to be gibberish. And was that somebody just trying to uh, dupe him, trying to trick him? I mean, who gave him this material and said it was, you know, evidence that the 2020 election was stolen by China? Clearly, Mike Lindell does not have the expertise to know that one way or the, right. the other. So somebody told them. In this somebody set up, I guess, set up Mike Lindell, although Mike Lindell sure does seem like he wants to be set up. <laughs> but does he give up? Of course not. He testified at the arbitration that he he did not share what he had described as his key data to support the foreign intrusion claim during the conference. He held off, he said. 
The real data has not yet been released. Apparently, he held off because he said there was a man uh, seeking a selfie who poked him in the side at the symposium as it was nearing an end, uh, which Lindell called, you may recall this, an assault. And he remember this. And he he said he took that as a sign that the government might tamper with his central information if he made it public. So he told the panel that after the incident, his so-called red team advisors warned him against making that information public. So So he held a contest and said he was going to release the information for the contest. And then he didn't release the information for the contest. So that's isn't that fraud? Yeah. Well, he he did. But then he said that wasn't the real. So is it fraud? Maybe. I wonder if Zeidman will file a lawsuit on top of the $5 million. Now, there is one related uh, point here in all of this. As you may also recall, at that dumb cyber symposium in South Dakota back in 2021, as well as apparently setting himself up to lose $5 million, there was also a woman named Tina Peters who appeared on stage with Mike Lindell. She was, at the time, the little-known county clerk of Mesa County, Colorado, who claimed that she was suspicious about the 2020 election. And as she was speaking on stage, some software was released at the symposium that appeared to be source code from Dominion Voting System Election Management Software. That's the central tabulator for Dominion voting systems and, you know, that that basically runs an entire election. And we would later learn that it was a copy of the actual software that was used in Mesa County, Colorado. Just coincidentally, while the Mesa County, Colorado uh, clerk was was on stage at this supposed election fraud cyber symposium with Mike Lindell. Eventually, it was discovered that Tina Peters, with two compatriots, one of whom she had, I think one was a county worker, the other one wasn't, and she created a fake ID for him to come into the building. She and the two of them snuck into the county's secure voting system room in the middle of the night, and they turned off the security cameras, and they made unlawful copies of all of the Dominion EMS election management system files, which were then released that day at Lindell's symposium and uh, was the you know reason that we ended up talking to Hari that day to get details about it, because that was really the big news that yeah. this uh, information was released. And it caused quite a panic out here, in fact, at the time here in California, because just about a week or so later, we were set to have the uh, Republicans attempted and ultimately failed recall election of Governor Gavin Newsom and the computer security experts, guys like Hari and, and Philip Stark and Rich DeMillo and others that we've had on the show over the years, they were very, very concerned that the source code had been leaked out to these systems and it was the same code that was used in a number of large California counties in this upcoming election. And they had sort of an emergency meeting with the Secretary of State in California at the time, trying to urge her to take special measures to assure that there was no malware somehow implanted on the systems now that everyone understood how they worked because the material was released. Anyway, long story short, 
I know, too late. Uh, Peters, Tina Peters, was eventually charged with seven felonies and three misdemeanors in Colorado related to the breach of that voting system software in her state. Now, it appears to be part of a larger conspiracy by Republicans that was apparently overseen by Trump attorney Sidney Powell in several states to breach voting systems, including uh, not just Colorado, but also Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, po- possibly Nevada, Georgia. That's the Coffee County breach that you may have heard us cover in detail on this show over the past year or so after Marilyn Marks, our friend, uh, discovered it. And apparently this multi-state conspiracy, literally, as far as we can tell, is not being investigated at the federal level for some reason that nobody really understands here, even though it it does seem to be investigated in each of these states. That's why Tina Peters has been charged with 10 counts in Colorado, and that appears to be part of what is holding up Fonnie Willis's uh, probe in, in Georgia right now. So anyway... Now, Peter's trial on all of that, on those 10 counts, that's coming up uh, soon, later this year, as I recall. But after being barred from running Mesa County's elections and losing an attempt to win the Republican nomination for secretary of state in 2022, Tina Peters was also charged with separate crime, obstructing an investigation by refusing to turn over an iPad that she used to illegally video a court proceeding of one of her colleagues who was also charged in all of this. Now, I have heard from some listeners in recent days asking about this because a week or so ago after Peters was found guilty on that obstruction matter last month, she was sentenced to just home detention. Mm. Four months of house arrest and 120 hours of community service on the misdemeanor obstruction charge that she was found guilty of last month. The jury convicted her. Uh, She was also fined $750, ordered to wear an ankle monitor. Uh, A stay has been issued in the case for now pending an appeal. Um, But that is not the big case that she still faces, the 10 charges related to stealing the Dominion software. So, yes, real accountability for Peters is yet to come, and for that matter, for Mike Lindell as well. So I wanted people to understand who had uh, saw, oh, they thought Peters got off scot-free. No, separate case. More is coming. Her day is coming and also the day for Mike Lindell. So it sounds like it was a hell of a cyber symposium in South Dakota. Back in 2021, doesn't it? <laughs> Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. 
No time to chit-chat. Gotta get to it. Our latest (laughs) Green News Report. While the Sunshine State is still drying out from last week's historic rainfall, it's the gas pumps that are really dry. Fort Lauderdale struggles with ripple effects from extreme weather disaster. Historic record-shattering heat in Asia has turned deadly. Plus, our proposal would restore American energy leadership. House Republicans hold U.S. clean energy sector hostage to raise the nation's debt limit. All of those gangster stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. President Biden has a choice. Come to the table. Or the economy gets it. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Dorian, we're always celebrating Earth Day around here at the Green News Report, but now everyone else gets to do it as well. (laughs) Yes, once again, a reminder that Saturday, April 22nd, is Earth Day with events in the U.S. and around the world celebrating our fragile little oasis of life in the vast desert of space. Oh, that's nice. In the nation's capital, activists are planning a protest and rally to end the era of fossil fuels, while House Republicans are marking Earth Day with attacks on renewable energy endangered species protections, and more. (laughs) Of course they are. House Republicans are floating a demand to repeal the entire Inflation Reduction Act, the Democrats' landmark climate law, in an attempt to extract concessions in exchange for the once-routine raising of the nation's debt limit. But doing so will harm their own constituents. A new Financial Times analysis finds that Republican House districts are the biggest beneficiaries of Biden's new industrial policy, seeing the most investment from the Inflation Reduction Act by far, even though all Republicans voted against it. You're sort of assuming that Republicans' constituents are the people who live in their districts as opposed to the fossil fuel companies who put money in their pockets. Excellent point. Thank you. In Asia, an historic, record-shattering April heat wave has turned deadly. Affecting about a third of the world's population, the weeks-long searing heat has killed more than a dozen people in India and toppled April heat records across Southeast Asia and China. Thailand set a new all-time high national temperature record this week, hitting 114 degrees Fahrenheit for the first time in its history. Scientists say man-made climate change is making heat waves more intense, longer, and more frequent. And didn't you also say in our last report that it was 96 in Connecticut this past week? Yes, it was. Oh, well, blue state, who cares? In Florida, Fort Lauderdale is drying out after last week's biblical rains and floods, but it's now facing gas shortages. Another example of how climate extremes create unexpected knock-on effects. The floods temporarily disrupted distribution of gas and diesel fuel to retailers, but according to Gas Buddy CEO Patrick DeHaan in an interview with CBS, long gas lines in South Florida are really more of a people problem than a supply problem. It turned into a panic buying spree, which overwhelmed the system. But I wouldn't say it's a shortage simply because there are millions of gallons of gasoline still waiting to be delivered at Port Everglades. But of course, everyone's panicking. You know, it'll be really nice when we get rid of these gas cars altogether and then people can panic about, I don't know, what 
music to play on the radio? In energy news, a federal appeals court panel this week overturned Berkeley, California's first-in-the-nation ban on natural gas hookups in new construction in a lawsuit brought by the California Restaurant Association. And heard by two Trump judges and a Reagan judge who used to work for Standard Oil. The court ruled that the Berkeley ban conflicts with federal energy regulations. It could potentially jeopardize scores of similar ordinances around the country focused on phasing out fossil fuel use in new buildings. In the Netherlands on Wednesday, electricity market prices briefly turned negative because wind and solar generated so much clean electricity that they outstripped demand, forcing power producers to pay customers to take up the excess (laughs) supply. Sounds terrible. Energy experts say such incidents are spurring accelerated investment in utility-scale battery storage in Europe. I bet. Finally, good news for the U.S. electric grid. A flood of new wind and solar power projects around the country, sparked by the Inflation Reduction Act, has increased the backlog for projects awaiting a connection to the electric grid due in part to the lack of transmission lines. But Bloomberg News reports that suddenly several major transcontinental transmission projects are now moving forward in every region. And the Interior Department this week gave the final go-ahead for the Transwest Express high voltage transmission line after 15 years of permitting work. The 730 mile transmission line from the nation's biggest wind farm now under construction in Wyoming will bring pollution free electricity to Nevada and California. Well, sounds terrible. No wonder Republicans want to bring an end to this nightmare. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Fight the power! Fight the power! Fight the power! Uh-huh. The tyranny and, of jobs and clean energy. Yeah, Ooh. in this instance, this is one where they shouldn't be fighting the power, but they are anyway. Anyway, we've got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible thanks to those of you kind enough to donate to bradblog.com slash donate. So we can stay on your public airwaves. Thank you in advance. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. What we got to say. Yeah. Power to the people, no delay. Make everybody see. In order to fight the powers that be. Yeah.